Before I get into the specifics of exactly who is overseeing the federal trials of former President Donald J. Trump, can I just start out by acknowledging that America has always picked judges in a pretty bizarre way? Yeah, so in the old days, there was literally a wheel, and you would spin the wheel, and it would land on, like, a certain judge, and that would be the judge to hear the case. Mark Joseph Stern is our resident expert on the courts here at Slate. He says courts ditched the whole wheel thing a while back. I think different courts use different procedures, and it's generally electronic. But still... The randomness remains. The goal's noble. Random assignments make it harder for the prosecution or defense to curry favor with the person who controls their fate. But also... I think you should also take a step back and think about what that means for regular criminal defendants in this system. It means that based on random chance... You might be assigned to a judge who decides to give you a really lenient sentence, say maybe time served or a couple months in prison. Or you might be assigned to a judge who gives you an incredibly harsh sentence years and years behind bars. And you have no control over it. It's funny because I've talked so much about these Trump cases, but I don't ever think I've thought about it in terms of the judges. Like the fact that having so many cases, it's not just that there are so many charges against you. It's that every time these charges are filed, you're sort of spinning the wheel of fortune when it comes to a judge. It's the best system we've got, but there is a huge amount of arbitrariness that's built into it. For special counsel Jack Smith, his wheel has landed on two very different jurists when it comes to prosecuting Donald Trump. In Florida, where Trump's charged with mishandling classified documents, Judge Eileen Cannon is overseeing the case. She's new to the bench, a Trump appointee. In Washington, meanwhile, where Trump faces charges for his role in January 6th, Judge Tanya Chutkin is in charge. She's got nearly a decade behind the gavel. She was appointed during the Obama years. If you had to play around here thinking about this as like a tale of two judges, what kind of picture emerges here? Certainly a best-of-times, worst-of-times scenario, I think. It's going to be like going from a frozen Chicago winter in Judge Cannon's courtroom to the beach in Anguilla in Judge Chutkin's courtroom in terms of how you are treated. What we've seen from Judge Cannon already suggests that she is really kind of angry with the government, unhappy with Jack Smith, like not pleased with how this case has been handled so far, um, and, and expressed it in ways that I myself do not think are necessarily appropriate. Whereas with Judge Chuckin, she has, I think, dealt with both sides very fairly. Um, and so it's going to be whiplash for Jack Smith. Today on the show, a deeper look at both of these judges and why two of the most consequential trials in our country's history could be decided in very different ways. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person 
anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Okay, let's go a little bit deeper into who these judges are and their biographies. And let's start with Judge Eileen Cannon. This is the Florida judge overseeing the classified documents case. She's pretty new, right? Like, what do we know about her? Yeah, so Judge Cannon uh, is so new that she was, in fact, uh, appointed to the district court and assumed office while Donald Trump was planning the very coup at issue in the January 6th case. Um, She took office on November 13th, 2020. So Trump was already well into his plot to overturn the election by then. Um, She was actually born in Colombia, so she is uh, an immigrant. And uh, she came to the United States relatively young. She was uh, a corporate lawyer uh, and then served as a federal prosecutor for some years. And I'll I'll say I was surprised by how many mistakes she's already made. What, What kind of mistakes do you mean? So in one case during voir dire, which is when you're picking the jury uh, in, a, in a criminal case, she excluded the defendant's family members from the courtroom. And that is crazy. Um, the right to a public trial is guaranteed by both the First and Sixth Amendments. It's literally right there in the text of the Constitution. And the Supreme Court has ruled explicitly that that right attaches during voir dire because it's a a crucial phase of a criminal prosecution. And she kicked out the, the family of the defendant for no reason other than she alleged that there weren't enough seats in the courtroom. When you have to choose between issuing an unconstitutional order and making some extra space in your courtroom, you choose the latter. In another case, she forgot to swear in the jury. That might sound like a technicality, but it's actually a really important part of this entire system. It also just sounds really basic. Yeah, it's fundamental. It's like if you watch Law and Order, you know you have to swear on the jury for God's sakes. And, you know, she's only overseen four criminal trials from, from start to finish with a jury during her short time on the bench. How has this lack of experience played out once she was handed the Trump case? 
So, you know, the, the worst part so far happened uh, in 2022, uh, at a much earlier stage of this case, after the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago for the classified documents. Um, so after that happened, Donald Trump went to her court uh, and uh, asked her to essentially halt the investigation and prohibit the government from looking at the classified documents that it had seized. Um, that is not something that is done. Like, it's a made-up idea that criminal defendants just don't really get to do. Um, and yet she issued an order purporting to halt the investigation and prohibit the government from looking at these materials uh, as part of a criminal investigation. That was the first time in the history of the American Republic that a judge has purported to block an investigation into a criminal matter before an indictment. That had never happened before. And she got, like, called out for this. Twice. Brutally slapped down by the 11th Circuit, by two very conservative panels on the 11th Circuit, who essentially accused her correctly of creating a totally different standard that applies exclusively to Donald J. Trump and said, that's not how we do law in this country. You know, you don't get to seize this newfound power to shut down a criminal probe uh, just because the guy uh, in question who's being investigated happens to be Donald Trump. That's not how it works. Is it possible that Judge Cannon learned her lesson here? And I ask this because after she began weighing in on the Trump case more formally this summer, an analysis in the New York Times concluded that, for now, she's the jurist defenders have described, level-headed, not beholden to the man who appointed her, Trump. Sounds like you disagree with that pretty firmly. Well, yes, I disagree. Look, there hasn't been a whole lot of action so far. Um, this is still in a, a relatively young stage. Uh I would also say it's just wildly premature um, when she hasn't had a chance to rule on some of the most important motions that get filed before a trial begins. Um, that's when we discover if she is truly a, a judge, like a real judge, or if she's just a, a Donald Trump MAGA defender in robes. Um, so that New York Times piece struck me as uh, egregiously premature. And frankly, some of her conduct already, including including a, a very recent order and some of her scheduling orders do not seem on the level to me and are sort of flashing warning signs that she is indeed the same judge who, who ran interference for Trump in 2022. Okay, let's talk about Judge Tanya Chutkin. This is the D.C. judge overseeing the January 6th case. What do we know about her? She's been on the bench much longer, it seems like. That's right. So Tanya Chutkin was a Barack Obama appointee, um, and she also is an immigrant, uh, like Judge Cannon. She was born in Jamaica, um, but her legal career was very different from uh, from Judge Cannon. So she, after working in private practice, became a public defender. She was one of the relatively few public defenders who Barack Obama elevated to the federal bench. Um, you know, this was a, a big criticism of Obama that he mostly elevated prosecutors. And, and kind of snubbed public defenders. It was a big deal that he chose her. Um, and she was confirmed 95 to zero. And now she has been on the bench uh, for about a decade. Uh, and she's proved herself to be extremely competent, uh, extremely efficient, very respectful to both sides, not the kind of judge to lose her temper. What do you mean when you say that? Like, if you're walking around the courthouse, like, what are people whispering about Judge Chutkin? 
they're whispering nothing, which is ideal. Um, <laughs> you know, there are some characters on the uh, district court here in DC. Uh, she is she's not really like an outsized ego or anything. Judge Shutkin's also been really involved with overseeing January six cases, like like the rioters that the DOJ has charged. When you look at her track record for other January six cases, not the one against Trump. What does it tell you about her style and her approach? So Judge Chutkin is known as one of the more stringent sentencers in January 6th cases. Um, She has, on several occasions, uh, issued sentences that are higher than what the prosecutors recommend. Um, That's not incredibly unusual. The sentencing guidelines are flexible and judges issue on the higher end or even over what prosecutors want all the time. But in some of these cases, the prosecutors weren't even asking for jail time at all, right? And she's like, yeah, sorry, no, you go to jail. (laughs) That's right. She says you go to prison. Now, it might not be for a very long time, um, but she has made a point of saying that this was an attack on democracy, that this was an attack on our most basic institutions, um, and that the American people need to see the real-life consequences of engaging in this kind of violence. The fact that her sentences are on the higher end uh, on this court can in part be attributed to the fact that there are some Donald Trump appointees on on this court who really seem to view January 6th as a lesser crime and are not handing down sentences that are nearly as stringent as what prosecutors are asking for. And Judge Chutkin has previously ruled against Trump, too, right? Um, Yes. So uh, Judge Chutkin handled uh, this uh, really important case uh, from last year where Donald Trump was trying to block the release of a number of uh, important documents relating to uh, January 6th that Congress wanted to get a hold of. Uh, He tried to assert executive privilege over them, even though he was, of course, no longer president. Um, And Judge Chutkin blocked that request, uh, allowed the documents to be released to Congress um, and said, you know, presidents are not king and Donald Trump isn't even president. So he certainly has no right to block this release, especially when Joe Biden, who is president, said that he was fine with the documents turning over to Congress. Well, Donald Trump is certainly trying to make it look like (laughs) Judge Chuckin is a partisan hack. In fact, he's asked for his trial to be moved to West Virginia. Any chance of that actually happening? No, certainly not. Uh, We can turn back to the Constitution here and see that it requires um, that criminal trials be held in the venue uh, where the crime took place. There are extremely rare exceptions to that, like where it's a super small town and there was ubiquitous biased media coverage and 100% of potential jurors were, uh, you know, irreparably tainted by this coverage. But that's it. As a rule, uh, you get tried where the crime took place. Um, I'll say that, you know, Trump's efforts here, it's not just about Judge Chutkin, right? It's about the jury pool. Um, He's pointed out that the District of Columbia is majority Democratic, that, you know, more than 90% of voters chose Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden uh, over Donald Trump. And so he's claimed that that poses a, a, a total risk of bias that, you know, can't be overcome. And so the the trial must be moved to get an impartial jury. But that's not what impartial means uh, when we're talking about juries. It doesn't mean that the jurors can't have opinions or political leanings. So all of that, all of those arguments, I don't think they're going to fly at this court, at the D.C. Circuit, or at the Supreme Court. I think this trial is going to happen right here in the District of Columbia. 
after the break, two recent court orders and what they demonstrate about both of these judges. The future of America is in your hands. This is not a movie trailer, and it's not a political ad, but it is a call to action. I'm Mila Atmos, and I'm passionate about unlocking the power of everyday citizens. On our podcast, Future Hindsight, we take big ideas about civic life and democracy and turn them into action items for you and me. Every Thursday, we talk to bold activists and civic innovators to help you understand your power and your power to change the status quo. Find us at futurehindsight.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, both of these judges, Eileen Cannon and Tanya Chutkin, issued rulings that to you showed just how different they may be as judges. Can you explain exactly what happened here? Maybe starting with Judge Chutkin's order? Yeah. So um, as folks may be aware, uh, Donald Trump uh, has a problem keeping his mouth shut when he is in legal peril. He loves to post. He loves posting. (laughs) Heroic levels of posting here. Uh, Not long after his arraignment hearing in D.C. on Thursday, he posted on Truth Social, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. Which is just a straight threat. Like, let's be real. Right, right. Like, whether it's a a true threat that could be prosecuted on its own, that's a a different question. But whether it's quite obviously uh, designed to intimidate Jack Smith, like, yeah, duh, of course it is. And, like, at 10 p.m., Jack Smith is like, hold it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh, You know, he turns around and files what's known as a protective order, telling Judge Chutkin, hey, look, you know, we as prosecutors have to turn over the evidence that we have to the defendant. Uh, a lot of that evidence, a lot of the materials that we have are super sensitive. And it seems to us that this defendant has a clear vendetta against us as prosecutors uh, and is not someone we can trust to keep all of those highly sensitive materials to himself, that he poses a risk of releasing, revealing, leaking some of these materials to the world, which could have all kinds of negative downstream effects. Can I just Can I just say something for one second, which is, I think it's so interesting what this is doing, this filing, because he's not saying we don't think you should be able to say things. It's not asking, it's not like a gag order kind of thing. It's like, it's just saying, hey, our guy here seems to like posting and we're going to give him sensitive stuff. So maybe let's put a protective order around it, which is so interesting. It's like sidestepping this free speech issue that Trump's team likes to bring up a lot. Well, it reminds me a lot of how Jack Smith also declined to charge Trump with incitement to insurrection, um, which was very much open to him, which was advised by the January 6th committee as a possible charge, uh, which was the basis of Trump's second impeachment. Um, But Smith did not bring those charges, almost certainly because he recognized that Republicans would claim this was an infringement on free speech, that he was criminalizing political speech uh, by charging incitement. And so he sidestepped that question by bringing these other charges that were 
rooted more clearly in conduct. This whole episode has illustrated how Chotkin's going to handle the case because Trump came in with his lawyers and said, we need more time to respond to this. You know, we don't have time to respond over the weekend. And Chotkin shut that down and said, absolutely not. You better answer by Monday at 5 p.m. Like, you do not need more time. This case is rolling along. Like, this is going to be a speedy trial as required by law. So answer this man and I'll issue an order. But like, you're not going to run down the clock on me. Hmm. Okay, so we have Judge Chutkin moving speedily along. Meanwhile, on Monday, Judge Eileen Cannon, the Florida judge overseeing the documents case, she delivered a really different kind of order. What did she say? Yeah, so this order is uh, relevant to Donald Trump, but specifically pertains to Walt Nata, who is the Trump body man and assistant who was indicted alongside him in the Mar-a-Lago case. Uh, he uh, famously was accused of taking documents uh, from their storage area and secreting them away in the shower and bathroom at Mar-a-Lago so that investigators wouldn't find them. Um, and there's a kind of big problem here, which is that Nada's current lawyer, who's named Stanley Woodward, he represents people who are probably going to testify against Nada at trial. It's a little conflict of interest there. A little conflict of interest, right? It would be sort of like if you were a witness to a murder and I represented you, and then I turned around and also represented the murderer. <laughs> Awkward. And so Smith came in and asked for a, a hearing in the 11th Circuit. It's called a Garcia hearing, um, just so that the court could hear about this conflict of interest and decide whether Nada could waive concerns about this or whether there needed to be further steps taken, including potentially an independent counsel. So how did the judge respond when this was brought to her? I mean, this is just incredible to me. So she comes in and first she says, okay, well, you filed all of this supplementary material that's like classified and, or secret or uh, incredibly sensitive. You know, you filed that with me under seal, but I don't think you should have done that. So I'm going to strike it all. So she's saying like, oh, you, you know, you didn't justify keeping this under seal, even though it pertains to an ongoing grand jury investigation, which is just, again, very odd. If you hate the government always in these cases, then you're like, yeah, stick it to the feds, make them say more. Like, I understand that perspective, but it's just very weird to say, like, you have to prove why this secret stuff should be kept secret. Um, but the second thing she did, which I think is even weirder, is that she noted that these witnesses are testifying in a grand jury that's in D.C. She said, oh, I see you've got this grand jury in D.C. that's still looking into the classified documents case. And I don't like that. And so because I've noticed that you're doing this, I am going to force you to now file a kind of a uh, uh, jump scare motion explaining why you are allowing this proceeding to continue to investigate matters pertinent to my case. So she's like, wrap it up here, Nancy Drew. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> stop she's, it. She's saying like, how dare you continue to investigate and to do so in a, in a district other than mine? It seems like she's maybe running down the clock, which everyone knows is Donald Trump's number one legal strategy that he's used to great effect in the past. It really feels to me like she is 
building in a ton of buffer time in between each filing. And I think that disincentivizes Jack Smith from filing further motions for whatever, because every time he makes a request to Judge Cannon, it's going to become like a month-long odyssey that poses the very real risk as we draw closer to the new year of pushing this trial even further back. And I think if it goes much further back, then eventually Judge Cannon says, well, now we're too close to the 2024 election and we have to wait. And if Trump wins, we know what happens after that. Huh. Aren't judges more partisan than they used to be? Or is it just that we're seeing it more now? So, first of all, we've never really had a case like this. This is uncharted territory. And so we've never had the opportunity to see how federal judges will behave themselves when the president who appointed them is facing prison time. Um, That is, I think, the main difference between this and every other prosecution that's ever occurred in the United States. Um, But I also think that, yeah, like the way we've begun to select judges, especially on the right, um, specifically with Donald Trump, was to say, okay, Federalist Society, like send me your most extreme ideological conservatives and I will put them on the federal judiciary. So I do think every aspect of the judiciary is becoming more politicized. And this is maybe the chickens coming home to roost with Judge Cannon uh, overseeing a case that she's not qualified to handle and on which she seems to have a very strong bias. But if progressives like you don't trust Cannon and conservatives don't trust Judge Chutkin, what does that mean for the outcome here? Well, you know, frankly, I fear that if Donald Trump is either acquitted or if Cannon throws out the case or does whatever she can to ensure that Trump gets off scot-free, that, you know, everyone on the left is going to be like, this was an unfair trial. If Judge Chutkin comes in and does her level best to conduct a fair trial and does everything right and is the consummate professional and Donald Trump does get prison time, everyone on the right is going to say, this wasn't a fair trial. This was an incredibly biased partisan witch hunt against Donald Trump. I think there's like an integrity gap between how the two parties are treating the judicial system at this moment with regard to these cases. And it's going to be impossible to get everybody on board. I mean, it's almost certain that one of them will go up to the Supreme Court. I think the January 6th case in particular involves very tricky legal questions that will be resolved by the Supreme Court. And I'm kind of scared to imagine what happens either way when the Supreme Court hands down a decision that either lets off Trump from from consequences for January 6th or holds him to the laws that Smith has has charged him under and says, yes, this is a legitimate prosecution. One way or the other, there's going to be an incredibly fiery response that's not going to be great for the Supreme Court, that's not going to be good for the judiciary. But, you know, this is what Republicans said would happen when they refused to remove Trump from office and disqualify him from running for president again. Mitch McConnell went up on the Senate floor and said, we'll let the criminal system handle this. Well, that's where we are. The criminal system is handling it. And we'll just have to see whether the criminal system has the capacity to do so or whether it's all going to kind of come toppling down under the weight of a totally unprecedented and kind of frightening prosecution. The the whole legal system floats on our collective belief that it's real. And if we stop believing that, I'm not sure what happens next, but I'm not looking forward to learning. 
Marches of Stern, thank you so much for coming on the show and straightening me out on this. Thanks so much, Mary. Mark Joseph Stern covers the courts for Slate.com. And that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go on over to Slate.com slash What Next Plus to find out all about it. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter, X, whatever. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.